0: Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers. I am your host, Joshua Tracy.
1: And I am Corwin Heller.
0: And today we are going to be talking about NFL play success rates. Yeah, um, this is going to be a primarily Corwin-heavy topic, so uh, what do you got, bud?
1: Fortunately. Um, so I'm basically the two big ones that I want to talk about, which are... Pretty much the two that I see most prominently being an issue is PAT versus a two-point conversion and then goal line touchdown rates for when you're using a jumbo package.
0: All right, which one do we want to start with?
1: Uh, I'll let you decide.
0: Let's go with the PAT one.
1: (laughs) All right. Um, All right, so let's see. So basically, over the past four years, PATs have been kicked from, I want to say, the 25-yard line. Um, Actually, no, it's a 25-yard field goal, so it's from, uh, like, the 7-yard line. Regardless, PATs have been at, like, 95% roughly since they moved it back from the 2-yard line where they originally had it which was like 99.6%. So they're basically free points after a touchdown with two-point conversions really only ever being used when you absolutely needed two points because those plays ran from the seven-yard line. So actually from the two-yard line, but they still only had a f- roughly 48% chance of scoring a touchdown. So as much as I jumbled that up, I think I got the main point across. So basically what I ended up doing was making a super rudimentary basic expected points table to basically show, hey, if we're converting two point conversions at, you know, this percentage, we'll get this many points if we do it every time. And if we're kicking uh, extra point kicks at this percentage, we'll score on average, this many points if we do it every time. So how's that so far?
0: Uh, I think I'm with you so far.
1: All right. I feel like I just started rambling, so do you have any questions? Or are we good to go, you think?
0: No, I I think we're good to go.
1: Okay. So from where I started with this, a little bit of a background story there. So in 2015, so right before the start of the 2015 season, the NFL decided to move these kicks back. So I decided to test the expected points for this pre-2015 rates and the post-2015 rates to see why it is the way it is now with teams kicking almost all point afters. Um, because of the way things were before this rule change and why things are different now. So, so prior to 2015, two-point conversions were completed at a 48% rate on average, with PATs being kicked at a 99.4% which equated to 0.96 expected points for two-point conversions, and a .994 expected point total for PATs. So, on average, teams were scoring .034 points more per game or per attempt than if they tried a two-point conversion after 2015 the probability for two-point conversions somehow peaked at around a 63% rate. Meanwhile, PATs dropped down to a 95.3% rate, which equates to a 1.26 expected point total for two-point conversions and a 0.953 for point after kicks. So in well, your, I mind, guess
0: that makes sense. Just thinking on on um, your probability of scoring and the amount of points you get for each of those scores. If you have a roughly uh, slightly less than half, right? Slightly less than half. If you have half the 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 probability of making a two point conversion, but you get double the points as if you. Um, were to go with the much safer one point uh, for PAT, I mean, I guess it flows that it would have slightly over one point of the expected value. I guess that makes sense just from the raw numbers there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a high-level math equation that I was doing. Like, this this isn't even stuff that, like, needs to be taught. I feel like it's more putting together common sense into, like, a real basic formula this times this. But I really don't know why teams don't go for two-point conversions more. I mean, the Steelers- I think
0: I think there's an aesthetic about it. Because also, I think NFL is very resistant. It's weird. I feel like the NFL is very resistant to change while also being probably the sport that you and I watch that's the most in flux because it changes the rules a lot. But I feel like the gameplay takes forever to change. I mean, I I agree with you. I never get mad when we go for like the Jets go for two and don't get it because I'd rather us go for two more often.
1: Right. Like when the uh, rule change first came out, really nobody was trying to up the amount of two point conversions they ran, and it really wasn't until the beginning of this past season in 2018 that like the Steelers, which were on the forefront on the leading edge, I would say of the uh, adoption of the two point conversions. They still only did it like a handful of times where they didn't succeed. And before they decided, you know what, let's just stick to kicking PATs with our terrible kicker and just hoping for the best.
0: I mean, would you equate this at all to like the three point revolution in the NBA?
1: I don't think it's that dramatic, but I think it's the exact same vein, you know, like teams either stuck with the, you know, layups, the dunks, the alley oops that offered, you know, only two points, but at a really high percentage versus the three pointer, which was, you know, a single added point. So not even doubling it like you are in football, but at roughly a third of the actual rate. So. I would say it's definitely the same vein just not quite as dramatic just because of volume.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I I it, you know the readiness to accept the three point um shot in basketball if you want to call it readiness probably comes directly from the fact that you score a fuck ton of points in basketball whereas football has a more situational vibe to it I think. Right. So Let me ask you this, just as a fan: Um, It's the third quarter of a game, and the Steelers score a touchdown, and now they're down their first touchdown of the game, and they're currently losing seven to six. Would you rather them go for two or go for one? Which their first touchdown, forty-five minutes into the game, forty minutes into the game and you're not sure they're going to get there again within regulation.
1: I would still say that I would rather go for a two-point conversion just because the math dictates it, you know? Like, I don't want to be safe late in a game just to tie it where if we're having trouble scoring in the first place, overtime isn't going to help anything. Um, I just think that I'd rather take the shot when i can instead of having to rely on you know something happening like us being able to do something in the future but what if the go ahead now you go because i'm gonna be kind of going back to something and i'd rather get your thought out of your head first
0: no problem um what if it was, you know, the the Steelers score in the fourth quarter. Oh, I'll keep it with the third because that was the last one. To make the score something stupid, like uh, the 42 to 44. Steelers have the 42. Are you more willing to go for the two or for the one?
1: So we're, we just scored, and it's 44 to 42. So I'm yeah. not going to be down one or I'm tied.
0: Right, but you've been, the point being that you've been scoring, everyone's been scoring all, all game. There's no defense in this game. It's Rams, say, Chiefs all over again.
1: At that point, you almost have to do the two-point conversion even more because it's allowing you to either tie the game or be down by less than a field goal. And if you're scoring at a continuous pace, the probability only becomes more and more valuable. So I think regardless, um, like, you know you're going to be able to score later. You still have time to make up that point. Might as well go for two now to at least tie the game.
0: Yeah, see, I think that there's – I I agree with your notion. Um, I'd only disagree in your first answer where I would probably just take the PAT if I scored my first touchdown – And I was down six to seven. I think the main advantage of the going for two and enjoying the probability is the volume of scoring. So over the course of a full season, of course, it makes Mm -hmm. sense to go for two more often. Uh, If we're talking individual games, I'd have to say the games in which you're scoring the most, it probably also makes the most sense. Um, I think we're all tired of seeing... uh, Back and forth games. uh, oh, it's seven to nothing. It's seven to seven. It's fourteen mm-hmm. to seven. It's fourteen to fourteen. Well, if you're scoring enough that this becomes a problem, if you keep going for two, uh, it's eight to seven, and now it's um, sixteen to fourteen, and now it's twenty-four to twenty-one, and now you see yourself adding distance in a way that's more meaningful. But if it's a low-scoring game, and every point has more value, I'd say that the value of that one point is going to be greater than the probability of you fucking up and missing the two-point conversion Uh, i'd rather put some burden on my offense but i don't think you'd necessarily be wrong to do it Uh, to go for two i think i just am stingy with my points in low scoring affairs
1: I think what you're talking about is the reason why it hasn't caught on nearly as quick well not I wouldn't say quickly but to the gr- degree that the 3 point shot did for base Jesus Christ for basketball um because basketball you're scoring at such a higher percentage you're getting to see these differences so much more often And even though, you know, the difference in expected value for, you know, a two-pointer versus a three-pointer isn't as much as the difference between a one-point conversion and a two-point conversion, I think the volume of playing, basically you're scoring 100 points every night and it's over 82 games, why teams are doing it so much more than in football where you might only be scoring one or two touchdowns a game, so it's not really a big difference on the field per game. And I think that's why it hasn't caught on quite as fast.
0: I think eventually it will, though. I think all sports are getting more analytical by the mm-hmm. by the passing month. Um, I mean, we saw it – I hate to bring up baseball in a non-baseball episode, but, I mean, mm-hmm. the Giants hired a more analytical, heavy GM. The Orioles hired a more analytical, heavy GM. Um, we're seeing teams – that previously weren't in on the bandwagon jumping in because it really is the effective way of managing your organization. And I think we're going to see that with football too, albeit at a slower pace given the boys' club nature of head coaches. But it's it's if, <laughs> it, a whole if it gets proven itself. to be successful, people are going to do it.
1: Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I really hope it is something that kind of happens very quickly like it did with baseball Um, I mean it's taken a long time for basketball teams to adopt it when like it really came about Um, but man like I just I hope this is one of those things where the NFL you know the leading minds of the NFL guys like uh, Cliff Kingsbury Sean McVay now like real offensive driven coaches like the Kyle Shanahan to the world um i hope they look at these analytical numbers you know they're more used to it they're honestly as cliche as it is they're younger coaches so they're more in tune with the technology behind it and i think they're going to be able to actually use this analytical stat and make it a full-time thing to go for two every time
0: i think you're right so what else you got
1: All right, so the other big one that I had was something that I complain about every single time I watch the NFL on Sundays. I even see it in college football, but it's when teams use the jumbo formation on the goal line or, you know, third and inches, fourth and inches, just one of those plays where you need to get one yard. And teams are just stuck in this idea that you put your biggest guys up front and you just push them. And if they win, they win. If we win, we win. Like the jumbo formation is basically five linemen and every one of your skill position players other than your running back. So you're basically going to have nine men on the offensive line just pushing the defensive line who has all of their guys crowded right at the line of scrimmage, and you're basically just doing almost like two battering rams coming together, just trying to see which one has more force, more leverage, and just hope that you get the yard. Um, Whereas smart teams um, oftentimes now will use a spread formation to run on short yardage. That way the defense has to spread out their defensive players and can't just bunch up like a a phalanx, I think that's how you pronounce it, and basically just be an impregnable line. So with the spread, for those of you that don't know, you have your five offensive linemen, your quarterback, and your running back in the backfield. And then all your other players are spread out on the field outside of the line of scrimmage. So your tight end, your two or three wide receivers, whatever it is, they're spread out along the offensive line, not in line with the offensive line. And it basically forces the cornerbacks to follow them outside, the safety to be help over the top and basically draw guys out of the middle of the field so that you can punch it in with your five offensive linemen. Um, and lately, it's been working really, really well. I mean, I see it every week. There's a guy on Twitter, Warren Sharp, who kind of introduced me to this spread versus jumbo debate, and he posts the stats every single week after a team fails run to run the jumbo or succeeds using the spread. And it's just something I see all the time, every single week, and it just—it's gotten to the point where it drives me nuts. So before I I hate seeing it. I mean,
0: you.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just going to say before we jump into the numbers, like you got anything to add? So.
0: Yeah, I fucking
1: hate seeing the jumbo. I fucking hate it.
0: It's so fucking stupid. And I hate it when you see, you know, because, like, ah, it's third and one, or, you know, let's just push everybody. Even if it might not be a formal jumbo, it's still fucking annoying. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see a coach come up and be like, yeah, well, you know, the average player weight on our team is greater than the average player weight on the other team like give me give me give me an actual fucking reason for why on earth it makes sense to just try to push him out of the way when like if you wouldn't run this play on first and 10 needing to get yards because you need to get yards on first and 10 otherwise you're fucking it up why are you going to run it on a significantly higher leverage play of third and one or, like, third and goal or some shit when you Mm -hmm. need yards. It seems so incredibly counterproductive, but the kind of thing you would get a football (laughs) guy say "Go saying, that's the way you play the game, and that's the shit I fucking hate.
1: I mean, you see it in college, and it's always these, you know, Southern traditional heavy teams that run it, you know, like – the Alabamas, the Oklahomas, the significantly most successful Texas Longhorns. You know, it's it's something that traditional schools use because, you know what, tradition got them to where they are today and we're going to stick with it. And it's just not effective. I mean, granted, it's significantly more expect. I'm sorry, it's significantly more effective in college where. The actual size difference between, you know, the Alabamas, the Oklahomas, the Texases of the world are significantly bigger than, you know, the TCUs, the Vanderbilts, you know, these smaller schools. So, you know what? You could shove nine guys on the line of scrimmage and just push forward and against lesser teams where it's a significant lesser. It's going to work just because. It really is that simple. The math dictates it has to work. But in the NFL, where guys are all the same size, it doesn't really work out that way. So this is from the 2017 season, I want to say, for the total averages of the NFL. So in formations with zero wide receivers on the field, so essentially a jumbo where you're only going to have um, a running back and a quarterback as far as skill position players are concerned to get a first down it happened 50% it was a 50% success rate I'm sorry not to get a first down if used on first down it's a 50% success rate if used on second it goes down to 47 and third and fourth down on the key the key What's the fucking word? The key downs where you need to get these yards, it goes back up to 50%. So the total average for the NFL and jumbo formations was 49%. So again, if we go by expected value, 49% is not what you like. Now, if you move to just a single wide receiver on the field, so... Still technically not a jumbo formation. It's still forcing the wide receiver to have a cornerback opposite him. It's going to draw the uh, top safety over just a little bit closer to the side of the field. Success rate when used on first down actually drops to 48%. Rises to 54% on second, third, and fourth down but because of the low pers- the oddly outlierish result on fir- first down brings down the average to 51%. So now it's officially more effective to use this one wide receiver formation rather than the jumbo overall by a point or yeah, 2%. So with two wide receivers on the field which is the most common um, lineup that you'll see in the NFL today. Used on first down, bizarrely drops to 33%. So I don't know how many times this is actually used on the goal line. It I'm assuming it just has a really low um, N, so basically population of this what you're testing. But on second down, it jumps to 50%. So still effective. And on third and fourth down, it jumps to a whopping 61% effective, which is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And in spread formations, so with three-plus wide receivers on the field, it's 42% on first down, which, again, I have no idea why first down would be the lowest percentage. Intuitively, it would be the opposite. But regardless, on second down, it jumps to 59%. And then on third and fourth down, it goes to 57%. So not quite as phenomenal as the third, fourth down with two wide receivers, but still absolutely far and away the smarter decision on important downs using the spread formation. It's... it just mathematically shows making smart decisions leads to more points. What are your thoughts, Josh?
0: Yeah, I, I, I'd have to imagine that it has to be a sample size thing with those first down ones because yeah. honestly, I I think even though everything I just said, I would still be mad at my team if they did, if they had first and, and goal on like the one or two or how far away were they? Or did um, they say just first and goal?
1: First and goal, third and goal fourth
0: and goal all right so but it didn't just specify a yard line
1: no did not actually it that's might. fine let me, let me double check while uh, you're doing that it says goal line so probably within two yards two
0: yeah i'd be a little bit upset if my team was first and goal on the two and didn't at least try to run it on the first down so yeah. i unders. i'd have to imagine i'd have to imagine that it's just that um sample size thing. Yeah, uh, goal line's such a weird specific situation because there's not a lot of room to run, but I'd have but yeah, I mean still just just into intuition, you'd have to imagine that the farther apart the defenders are, the more room there is for you to actually operate. I I just yeah. don't know why you'd want to have why would you why you would actively seek to have all 11 of your opponents directly in front of you in a game where you're trying to move directionally forward. Like it just literally just makes no fucking sense. So I'm not surprised in the slightest by
1: this. Uh, I like at all. But like I said, I mean, it is being used a lot more often. Um, a lot of college teams are going for two point conversions. Um, you know, sometimes it has, you know, great results. Sometimes it <laughs> is just... it. Life just laughs in your face. And, you know, definitely missing... I want to say missing a two-point conversion still isn't quite as miserable as losing on a missed PAT. You know what I mean?
0: But, but missing a two-point conversion's not as okay. miserable as what?
1: So I feel like... The, If you lose, right? Right. If you lose on a failed two-point conversion, I'm saying that it hurts less than missing on a missed PAT.
0: Oh, a missed PAT hurts. It's a special kind of hurt. Right. Oh, because that's supposed to be your chip shot. That's supposed to be your easy guarantee that's that's supposed to be nothing missing uh <laughs> missing the the two- point conversion. it's like, well, fuck, at least they went for it, you know. Right. Kudos for trying. yeah no missing losing on a missed p a t is a special kind of
1: pain. it's It's happened, so I'll tell a story just because this was one of the most painful football experiences of my young life. Um, I want to say like five years ago, we had, you know, a freshman, redshirt freshman kicker named Sam Ficken. And he was replacing one of the best field goal kickers Penn State had in their history. And it's early on in the season, probably the second, third game. And we go to Virginia, not Virginia Tech, but the University of Virginia and play them. And Sam Ficken missed five field goals or extra points within 40 yards, and we end up losing that game by one. And it was one of the most painful experiences in my life. I mean, granted... Now, how would you
0: have felt as a fan if they had gone for two all five times and missed all five times?
1: I feel like it would become honestly probably easier to stomach the more often they used it i i feel like that sounds a little crazy but like i feel like the farther the deficit became i feel like using the two point conversion makes more and more sense i want to say
0: no know, it totally does cuz you got to make up ground
1: right so missing 5 in a row like in your mind, it's just got to be. At some point, you know that you have to make it. So why not?
0: I yeah yeah no I'm with you. I mean, it, 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 I I think whenever a higher scoring option comes around, people, the older crowd always likes to shit on it. I mean, it's like uh, mm-hmm. don't to bring it all back to God's favorite sport of baseball people still hate the fact that players keep trying to hit home runs. Even though the math says you should be hitting trying to hit home runs, record um, win-loss shows hitting home runs is is better than trying to slap a bunch of singles. But you still get people in the older crowd who don't like the fact that players just try to hit home runs all the time. Even though they're mathematically and empirically wrong, it doesn't matter. That's the two-point conversion versus the the PAT. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my dad was screaming after uh, or at least not you know making fun of it was the Titans that lost by 1 point when they tried to go for two uh, at the end of a game uh, right last season I think so when they were in London I think Yeah I think so Yeah like and I think it was like Titans Chargers or some shit and he was making fun of the the Titans for like the rest of the season because they didn't take the pat and it's just like yeah but you know damn well they weren't winning that game in overtime anyway so like what does it matter like i think i think that's the other thing too is like if you some teams end up in a close game by accident some teams have no business no business in being in a one point loss why fucking not go for two You know? For real. I would
1: love to see how the offenses and defenses would change if every team started going for two-point conversions. Like, if it just became the norm, I'd love to see what kind of specialty plays teams would try to cook up to give themselves kind of that edge. Like, do you think we'd end up seeing more you know, wild plays like we see in college football with like the Statue of Liberty or like wild erotic fake passes from, you know, the, like the kicker punter, whatever it's going to be. You think they'd kind of, I don't know.
0: I, I often, I often think that that the trick plays get overblown because they look really cool when they work but they can also have a propensity for being disastrous because, especially on special teams, you're asking, quite literally, the least talented starters you have to do things beyond the normal scope of their duties, which just sounds stupid as fuck, right? So, I'd rather a team play be a little bit more traditional in like their pass or run play calling with going for two things that they know to be successful, um, whether it be successful in their offense's norm or successful against a particular team's defensive weaknesses. But I think, I think in general, the um, trick play is massively overrated, especially because Bill Belichick just manages to pull it off all the time. (laughs)
1: Do you like it when you're, like, do you like seeing your team run them more often? Like, do you like it oh, when it comes out with a trick play?
0: Of course. It's like single Waxahachi swap in baseball. It's fucking stupid, and I love it. It's dumb as fuck, but it's great when it works.
1: What was the baseball term you said? Huh? What was the baseball term you just compared it to?
0: The Waxahachie swap?
1: Yeah, what is that?
0: Oh my gosh! I wanna, I wanna get the 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 correct definition just so I can make sure I get it right. Waxahachie swap. I actually well, saw the Rays did it last season. Really? Yeah. My Alexa just started talking to me. Sorry.
1: While we're on the subject of baseball, because I know you also have the Yankees got the Yankees game on in front of you. It's I do. Wild to me how weird. Adam Ottavino's number zero looks, you know, on the pinstripes. It just looks how so weird. Cool. Who looks? Adam Ovino's number zero.
0: Why he he's worn zero in pinstripes?
1: Not as a New Yorker.
0: Well, I mean, he is a New Yorker.
1: I know, but like, I'm saying it didn't look <sighs> right yeah, on no, it, uniform, it, it's but it looks weird on Yankees pinstripes.
0: You know what makes it look additionally weird for me? Um, It's the fact that it's a single-digit... No, it's the fact that it's a single-digit jersey. We don't have those anymore. The only one that Uh. was left was two, and that was only worn by Jeter, and he was the only one to wear a single-digit jersey um, until now. So, I've only ever seen one player wear a single-digit jersey, and it was Derek Jeter. And now I'm seeing, for the first time in my life, another one. And and it's Adam Adovino, of all people. It's very, very strange.
1: So, I know Jeter was two, Ruth was three. I want to say Mantle was, like, seven or something. Do you know what they all are?
0: Yeah, uh number 1 was Billy Martin, 2 was Jeter, 3 was Ruth, 4 was Gehrig, 5 I'll come back to 6 was oh fuck. I know 9 was Matt, was um Roger Maris, uh, 8 was Yogi and somebody else. I forget who Yogi split 8 with. Um Fuck, who's 5 and 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 6? Seven we said was Mantle. Oh god damn it! Oh six was Joe Torre. Five was Joe DiMaggio. That's right. Um, and who the fuck does eight split with? Eight there's a there's a second player who's got eight retired. I don't know who it is, but it, it's Martin it Jeter, Ruth, Gehrig, DiMaggio, Torre, Mantle, Yogi, and Martin. Uh, not, no not Martin. Um, I just did this. Maris Roger Maris, yeah. Who who's the other number eight?
1: The other number eight is Bill Dickey.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. That's okay. So just I I think I think they retired. Yes, yeah, sir. Go ahead.
1: So just looking at the rest of the retired numbers, number ten was Bill Rizzuto. Fifteen was.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Say Munson. it again. Fifteen. Yeah, fifteen's Munson. I have that jersey. Hanging so up on my six, wall.
1: 16 is also retired.
0: Oh, I have no idea.
1: Whitey Ford. Oh! Duh. 20. Jorge. Jorge Posada. Mm-hmm. 23 is also retired.
0: 23 is Don Mattingly,
1: right? Yep. 32. You won't get this one.
0: Which one? 32. Oh, Elston Howard?
1: Damn it. All right. 47. Dude, I I
0: have an Elston Howard signature catcher's glove sitting well, right below I my Mike Trout jersey. That. Now I do. Anyway, continue.
1: 37.
0: Um, no, no, not off the top of my head.
1: Casey Stengel.
0: Oh, damn it. Okay.
1: 42. Another split one.
0: Well, yeah, Jackie Robinson and Mariano Rivera. All right.
1: 44.
0: Oh, 40, Oh, um, uh, uh, Reggie, Reggie Jackson.
1: Yep. 46.
0: 46. Oh, Andy Pettit. 49. 49. Yeah. Oh, I feel like there's going to be an old player. Um, I don't know.
1: Uh, Ron Goodry.
0: Oh, Ron, yeah, Ron G- Gidry, Louisiana Gidry. Lightning.
1: Uh, and then one final number, number 51. Bernie. Bernie Williams. Yeah. 22 different numbers are retired. That's a lot.
0: All right, so you ready for what a, what the Waxy Hotch swap is?
1: Yes, yes, I am.
0: All right, because this is a much better definition than what I would have given. <laughs> All right, so it's really a scenario because there's no great way. It's, this is what I was trying to. This is what I was struggling with. There's no great way of defining it. Suppose you have a pitcher on the mound, a right-handed pitcher, and the other right. team has a left-handed hitter on the way up. You'd really rather have that lefty face your loogie, which is a lefty outs-only guy. But bringing in your loogie means that your current pitcher has to go is is done for the day and can't come back into the game. And you don't want to do that, mm-hmm. but what you do, but what you can do is you can do well. They say the Waxahachie swap. Your right-handed pitcher can simply go play left field for a batter. The Loogie come in can come in and get the left-handed guy out, and then the right-handed pitcher can come back in from left field and be the pitcher again because he never left the game. So this is a lot more common than the- yes. The Rays actually did this last season when they had... Greg Bird was up to bat, and they had um, a right-handed pitcher that was already in. I forget who... Oh, Sergio Romo. Sergio Romo was in. They wanted to bring in a lefty. They actually put Sergio Romo... at. third base of all places because they had the shift on for Greg Bird. So they had three infielders on the right side of the infield and Sergio Romo lined up to play third base. And then they brought in a loogie to face Greg Bird. And then when the loogie got that guy out, Sergio Romo moved back over from third base to the pitching mound. So he could keep throwing the rest of the inning. And then they just uh, put in a new bench player at third base.
1: That's actually wild. Did it work out?
0: I mean, yeah, Greg Bird grounded into the shift. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's ooh, it's it's much more common in the National League, given the nature of, um, if you want to call it strategy. I hate the fact that National Leaguers like to refer to shooting themselves in the foot for no reason as strategy, but. <laughs> But it, it, you see it a lot more in the National League where you have to be a little bit more careful with substitutions. But yeah, it's a Waxahachie swap.
1: I'm assuming you just saw Voigt get beaned in the hand.
0: Yep, that is the same hit-by-pitch that broke Aaron Judge's wrist last season. So, nice. yeah, thrilled about this. But anyway, NFL success rate. What else you got?
1: Um, Those were the two big ones, yeah. Oh, I had home and away uh, splits for passing success rate. I don't know if you just wanted to hear about it. I found this when I was looking into my other stuff, and I just thought that stuff looks really great. Give me a big picture. All right, so let me first turn down my volume because I'm clipping a lot. And then we'll go back to this. So basically, it breaks it down per team, and then it gives the total average for the NFL. So at home, teams pass for, on average, a 51% success rate versus a 49% success rate on the road. And there's actually some pretty huge differences um, amongst you know certain teams. You want to hear anybody in particular?
0: Yeah, give me the biggest difference.
1: The biggest difference was a pretty. Once you hear it, you'll be like, "Oh, of course!" Is New Orleans because they play in the Superdome?
0: Yep, and that makes at, sense. I was gonna, I was expecting them or Seattle.
1: Mm. Uh, Seattle actually a decent difference, but for New Orleans, you know, Drew Brees has always been known as being a better home passer. Um, they play in a, the Superdome, which obviously is enclosed. So 67% success, far and away the highest average by nearly 10% versus any other team. While on the road, they only pitch, or fucking Christ, they only succeed at a 53%, so a 14% difference. Um, Seattle has a 44% success rate at home, which is quite low, one of the lowest in the league. And on the road they have a fifty two percent success rate. So the wind in Seattle causes, you know, roughly eight percent difference.
0: Uh, that's 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 sizable. That's that's noticeable.
1: I mean there's teams like Tennessee with a one percent difference, Tampa Bay has a two percent Which is um, nothing.
0: That's a margin of error difference.
1: Jacksonville has the same amount. Um the New York Jets Have an 8% difference.
0: Uh, Better at home, I'm assuming?
1: 8% worse with 42% at home, 50% on the road.
0: Hmm, interesting. I wonder why that is.
1: I mean, MetLife is kind of windy, but not, you know, excessively so.
0: I, my my first thought w- was also weather, like cold, but at the same time, I feel like the majority of stadiums are in cold weather um, locations, so I can't imagine that's a real reason.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like they give stuff like yards per attempt difference and stuff like that. But well, so like let me ask reasons. you
0: this, because one of, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's this fucking Discord thing. I, sometimes I can't tell when you're talking until yeah, I've like, already super, interrupted.
1: Super laggy this entire time, I did it to you. earlier.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's just yeah. So one of the things I was thinking about when when you had, when we were, when I look at the schedule and saw this was our topic is what are, are we defining NFL or, or a, a play's success as? Like so the 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 um uh the saints have a 67% success rate on passes at home what are what are we defining as successful passes or is this basically just completion percent so,
1: passing success is partially percentage like passing percentage but it's on third down how often you succeed in getting i want to say at least 5 yards on okay. second down, it's getting um, like three or so yards. And then third and fourth down, it's getting, um, I want to say it's a, I think it's just getting a first down. So like on first and second down, it's a first down or getting that amount of yards on third and fourth down. It's just getting the first down. So 67% for New Orleans is phenomenal. That's a very good percentage. Um, They also led the league with yards per attempt, passer rating. Well, yards per attempt was at 9.7, which was a big increase over two yards higher than average. Led the league in passer rating at 138.5, which is 43% better. Yeah, 43% better. Than league average. Um, they also held a 14% explosive pass rate, which I think is just over 20 yards. Um, they led the league in passing touchdowns. And yeah, they had the fewest interceptions. So New Orleans is essentially just gods at home when it comes to passing the ball.
0: That's wild. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens to that after Drew Brees leaves.
1: Have Teddy Bridgewater forever. So Teddy can replace Drew, no problem, no questions asked.
0: So I was playing around with this tool on uh, Warren Sharp's website, um, the uh, play selection and success rate, and I plugged in the Jets. Oh no, I changed it back to Seattle. I'm going to change that again because I was looking at my Jets and I had. Everything I was gonna say was based on talking about the Jets, so fuck off, Seattle. Hold on, Warren. Real quick, petty, petty, petty note. Warren Sharp's website's the ugliest thing in the fucking it's world. So
1: it's essentially. Oh my
0: god. Yeah, so dude, it fucking so is.
1: So bad. It's just he is so successful and so good at what he does. But, oh my God, his website is
0: awful. I know. Hire a fucking graphic designer, especially because trying to do this shit takes so long because it's also, like, not well set up, maybe? Or maybe it's just too complicated for what he's using because, damn, does this take an eternity.
1: I just don't understand how this could be actually it just gave me a, a failure error and just forced me out of everything but i just don't understand how you could have such a basic html web design type website like it doesn't even scale tumblr
0: would 20. look better than this oh jesus like like an actual tumblr account would look better than this but anyway yeah. uh this is do he does he's and, and i'm not trying to dig on warren shark because he's so fucking smart he's so fucking smart Dude, your website's awful. But anyway, um, so the Jets ran uh, 42 plays where they passed to the deep left, which I'm not sure how he's quantifying deep left, but yeah. More than 10? More than 15? 15. 15, I think. Success rate 48%. Now, the. Oh, God, this website's loading. All right. I know. It takes forever. The Jets also ran. Oh, my God. How are you still loading? We're going to wait. We're going to sit here and fucking wait. I didn't
1: use this website for any of my data. Like, here we go. It's super useful, but my God, it's so horrible to
0: try and use. It's like trying to use YouTube back in 2007. Like It's fucking pathetic. They ran... 45 plays, passing to deep right, and were only successful 29% of the time. Which I think is kind of odd, and I was wondering if you had any takes on this, because to pass to deep left, I would assume that you're asking the quarterback to throw to some extent across his body. Whereas passing to deep right, I'd imagine he would be throwing regular or relatively more of a normal motion so what's the fuck's up with that any any reason you could think of that seems it just seems so incredibly odd i
1: I, can you just repeat it one more time just so i could have a clear thought
0: they ran a relatively equal number of plays passing to uh, deep right as they did deep left, but they were 49% successful on their deep left passes, whereas they were 29% successful on their deep right passes. And with a right handed quarterback, you would assume it would be the opposite because a left handed or a left side of the field pass would require a quarterback to throw across his body to some extent which is usually a big no-no
1: so originally i was just thinking this could easily just come down to um small sample sizes i mean you said it was only 40 something
0: yeah 40ish
1: 40ish so still a small sample size it's only the course of one season um Honestly, it might just come down to the Jets possibly lining up a better deep ball receiver on the left side. Um, It may just be, like, you're right in saying that it's odd for him to want to throw across his body versus, you know, the right side of the field, which is where most right-handed quarterbacks prefer to throw the ball. Um, He might just have a preference to throw to the left side of the field on deep balls, and it might just be that He has a better feel for throwing deep to the left side of the field than he does to the right side. Um, But, I mean, at a glance, I don't think there's any way to prove that one way or the other. About why, at least.
0: This is where I get marred down in in football because of all the context. Because I would assume that if you're having that kind of success on that side of the field, let's say it's the wide receiver connection but like is there a chance that your wide receiver connection would be stronger if he was on your quarterback's dominant side like wouldn't that be somewhat advantageous
1: to yeah i mean that's definitely a big thing and getting that you know having a quarterback and a wide receiver who are constantly on the same page and uh are really they understand each other's timing is so big, so that might be honestly that's probably the biggest factor in this.
0: So I was trying to look at all teams because that's an option on Warren Sharp's website, mm-hmm. um, and it just doesn't populate. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. Just doesn't populate what the um successful play rate is for all teams because this website's just. Fucking garbage.
1: We should write him up and be like, "Hey, we're a small, up-and-coming, you know, podcast, really trying to, you know, make it in the world, and your website is preventing us from doing that. So please, warn. Look my balls. So you know what you're doing. You're a smart guy. Just
0: get it together. Let's just look at the Saints, just just because we talk about them. So they ran about 30 plays to deep left and had a success play rate. Successful play rate of 52%. So, again, asking Drew Brees to throw relatively across his body, at least to the other side of the field. And for deep right, waiting, loading, 50 plays thereabouts with a 48% success rate. So, uh, relatively the same, honestly, given the additional amount of of, uh, plays to gain a sample size from. But still still higher on the right side, which which you know you would expect or sorry higher on the left side, which which is which is counterintuitive. So I don't know. I I don't know what to make of this information, but it's present. Yeah.
1: I feel like this is a really fun website that you could Really find some really great information and probably have a really fun time messing around and trying everything out. If you could just use it at all,
0: or if you could export, because uh, I don't usually fuck around with websites that can't be a, I can't export.
1: Yeah. What's really funny about this is that in the top left corner where he has his logo and. Something that looks like it would just be a a link bar. Underneath it, it says, "For best results, view on a in red, bold, and underlined computer, not on a mobile device."
0: Yeah, yeah. This uh, that should go to show just how sad. Also, the logo for Warren Sharp's website is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Why, why are some businesses so committed to using one letter for two words? It's really bad. Could he not afford the second S?
1: I, I have no idea. Oh, my God. So I was playing around with a bunch of different tools. Can you go to tools and go down to QB Depth?
0: Tools and which one?
1: QB Depth.
0: QB. Oh, there it is. And loading and loading and loading. Current NFL quarterback depth chart. Okay.
1: It's So it's done loading, if you were worried. It only uses about six pixels per person. And it doesn't list a name. It doesn't list any number that would make any sense. Other than it just puts like a random number underneath each of them and it's just a table of these dudes mugshots essentially with no It
0: says experience as the number. Um it's also horribly wrong because it has the Jets quarterback one listed as being Josh McCown, who's not on the team and was not our QB one last season. Underneath him it has Teddy Bridgewater, who did not start the season with us. He was with the Saints all of the regular season last year. And then that's Bryce Petty who's not on the team. Then Christian Hackenberg who we cut a year ago. And then some guy named Joel Stave. I've never heard of before. Joel Fuck him. So like like I saw his Davis Webb being on the Giants. Like, this is just obviously wrong.
1: (laughs) The picture for Josh Dobbs is not Josh Dobbs. Pittsburgh's third-string quarterback, that's a completely different guy.
0: Is he at least black?
1: He is, yeah. But that is, like, if you looked up a picture of Josh Dobbs, that is not even close.
0: Warren, what the fuck? This This is so bad. But what's weird is that he has. What's weird is he has Deshaun Kaiser being on Green Bay, which happened around the same time that Bridgewater got went, sent to the Saints, right?
1: Yeah, and it has Brett Hundley on there, which is what the Browns got back in that trade. So it has one. And it has Sam Bradford the- with Arizona. Yeah.
0: This just makes no fucking sense.
1: Uh, it has Cody Kessler on the Browns. Chase Daniel on Chicago.
0: It has two teams with just no backup quarterback, being Kansas City and Jacksonville. They both definitely have backup quarterbacks. And it has the Jets with five quarterbacks, which is just fucking stupid. Yeah, none of this makes any sense, and I hope he feels bad about this.
1: This is just to see how batshit crazy this website is.
0: It, this part of this website feels like it was made by a serial killer who doesn't have enough time to keep it like up and running. Oh Jesus Christ! I've also discovered I don't know the names of nearly as many backup quarterbacks as I thought. Really? Yeah, I had no idea who Taylor Heineke is. Sure. Yeah, I have no idea who that is. He's Same motivated. with Tyler Ferguson.
1: Yeah, I did not know who Tyler Ferguson was at the time. Who does he play for? Uh,
0: Tennessee? Oh, yeah. I guess. He's their third strainer. Sure. The picture for some man by the name of Dr- Jeff Driscoll is pretty bad. Jeff Driscoll, I know that guy. Oh, uh before we we, we wrap up, I heard a new name today, um uh, or yesterday when the when the Yankees played the the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers have a man on their team by the name of Grayson Geiner. I hate this name. This, Out of all the names in the world, this is one of them. Yeah, that's something. Grayson, oh. what position do you think Grayson Geiner plays?
1: Oh, Grayson Geiner is definitely a second baseman because his mom forced him into uh, shortstop, but he really just wasn't good enough, so he got forced to go to uh,
0: whatever, the uh, second base. So he plays catcher. Which just also seems wrong. Like, it sounds like an infielder's name, like you said. That's, so, that's I've decided I don't like Grayson Geiner. That's fair. I'll allow it. Yeah, I'm sorry, Grayson, but you've got to fix your shit. I'm sorry, Grayson, but you're dead to us. I'm not even that sorry, honestly. I I'm liking being this petty over baseball again. Uh, but yeah, I don't have anything else. No, I don't either. All right, then I'm, I guess we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so uh, at JuicingPod. It's Juicing Pod. It's Juicing P O D. You can follow us, um, or you can send us emails uh, at our email address at juicingthenumbers at gmail dot com, and you can find our website uh, at numbers dot dot com slash website has show notes for this episode and all previous episodes and uh we'll be back again next monday with some new shit see you then